Well, good morning once again. We're going to be continuing our series this morning. Uh, started several weeks ago. Come and see. Um, Pastor Jerry started, and Pastor Mike has picked it up, and it will go on for a little bit longer. Uh, but before we get to the scripture reading today, I just wanted to give you just a 30-second overview. I have taught some adult Bible school classes. I've taught some small groups, but it's entirely different standing up here. So <laughs> bear with me. I didn't used to have slides. I had a blackboard, and it was a little bit different environment. People would interrupt and ask a question. Don't do that. But uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, I just want to let you know that. But I do also want to let you know I take it very seriously. You remember James said, be not many teachers. What's he say? Knowing that we shall receive greater judgment. It's a serious thing to do this. And I take it that way, uh, and I, hope that, I do hope you know that. Uh, so let's take a look today. We're going to be looking at a scripture, Matthew 27. We're going to be picking up where Mike left off, Matthew 27, starting at verse 11. And if you want to view it in the Pew Bibles, page 991, okay? So let's read this scripture. Now Jesus stood, we'll pray after, well, let's pray first. Let's pray first. I was going to read the scripture and pray, but let's do it the other way around, okay? Father, we know that you are here among us because we are gathered in your name. We ask that you would open our eyes and our understanding and that we would rely totally upon your spirit to guide us into truth and to help us avoid error. May we leave here excited, Lord, because of a deeper realization of what you've done for us and a deeper love and appreciation for the Holy Spirit. In order that we would be strengthened to move and act in our lives in a way that shows the love and the true nature of God. Because it's by our love one for another that you said the world will know that we are your disciples. Please, Father, open our understanding to the power of the Holy Spirit, the great gift you've given to us, that we would lean upon the Spirit to guide and direct our thoughts in our lives. Amen. Matthew 27 verses 11 to 23. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a signal charge. And the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast of the governor, I'm sorry, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had before them a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, who do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife had sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said, let him be crucified. 
And he said, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. When we think of trials in our era, we think of trials that last hours, if not days, weeks, and in some cases, even months. We think of great defense attorneys. We think of the defense having a chance to really uh, put on their, uh, uh, their show or their, their defense to keep from the sentence being levied against them. But obviously, this is a different story. And when we look back at this trial, there are many, many things that we could focus on. But Mike asked me, and after I spent some time reading this, I realized there were so many things we could talk about. But Mike asked me to focus on the choice of Barabbas. And so we're going to spend some time today talking about that exchange, and that's why I entitled this A Great Exchange. And we'll talk a little bit more about why I chose that wording a little bit later on. But one of the things I think we need to remember, when we look back at in time, we're looking back 2,000 years. Now, I want you to think about that. 2,000 years, we're looking back at this through Gentile eyes. And there's this term that historians use called presentism, and some of you may have heard that. But that's where we, where we look at things not understanding how they could have done what they did. How did they do what they did? How could they have thought that? How could they not thought this? And we fail to realize they don't have the information that we have. They don't have history going forward. So when we look back 2,000 years, we have to set aside certain things. And I want to make sure that I point this out very clearly at the beginning. I'm not in any way suggesting that we are going to excuse their actions. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But I am going to show, show us through a few things that we're going to talk about that they really didn't understand and they really couldn't help certain things that they did. But because of that, out of that comes some great things that we're able to enjoy as believers. Let's think about some of the things that we have to kind of set aside. We're Gentiles. We're looking back 2,000 years. We're looking at trials the way we know trials. We're looking at uh, having a, a completed scripture, a completed canon. We're looking at the ability to understand prophecies fulfilled. We look at the ability, uh, yesterday I was at a little, uh, a little luncheon and I looked around the room and a couple of the ladies had crosses hanging from their necks. I can assure you, they didn't think of the cross that way 2,000 years ago, it's this setting. We have the, the saying that Paul said, I determined to know nothing among you except Christ crucified. Now think, look at this, Christ crucified. They're saying crucify him. Our message is Christ crucified. And that's one of the things we'll be looking at today. So thinking that those in the past could be motivated by ideas that did not exist or that they could not understand at that time and what that means to us, okay? So if we'll go to the next slide. So I mentioned uh, the, 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 we're Gentiles. We don't really understand what the way they thought, you might say, at that point in time. I want you to look at this scripture in Acts, and my wife probably is already rolling her eyes because I've going over the scripture so many times. I've been so fascinated with this scripture. This is 40 days after he showed himself to the apostles. 40 days, it says, but infallible proofs. They've been with him. They've heard him expound on the kingdom. And what do they still say? Will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? What we say, are you now going to take us to heaven? Right? That's what we think. That's what all this was to do, was to make it possible for us to go to heaven. That's not what was on their minds. We have to think of that when we're going to come to this week and look at this holy week that brought us to this point in this trial. Okay? Please, next slide. So 
There are a few things that we need to talk about. Let's talk a little bit about, and I put in quotation marks, that Passover, this particular Passover that we're going to talk about, because obviously there have been many, many Passovers up to that point, and many that have happened since that point. But we want to talk about that particular Passover and what it was that had the, the, uh, the, uh, the spirit in the air was so crazy, you might say. It was so uh, troublesome. So Mike talked last week a little bit about the arrival of Jesus, and he had uh, been delivering the woes. He had been telling the, uh, he had upset the tables in the temple. He had been telling the Pharisees, uh, woe if you do this, and, and, and on and on it goes. So he has obviously created an environment himself, which is quite uh, upsetting to the, to the Jewish leaders. You can understand that. And so we kind of already know that a few days earlier, Jesus has come in. He's come in on the donkey. He's come in, and they're welcoming their king and their Messiah. But we, again, have to try and think about what were they thinking that meant? What were they thinking? They weren't thinking he's going to come in and die on the cross for our sins. That's what we think. That's not what they think. thought. So we have to look back and set that aside for the time being. We need to take just a minute and talk about Pilate. Now, about the same time, Pilate comes in to town. And Pilate probably comes in on his chariot with his troops. We know that he had five cohorts of troops. One cohort stayed there all the time. He typically stayed in uh, Caesarea. It's a port city on the Mediterranean, northwest of Jerusalem, probably 75, 80 miles away. He makes his journey there every year on Passover. That's not a fun time for him. Pilate does not have a good reputation among the Jews. We know there are two or three things he's already done that had set them off. At one point in time, he had brought in shields that showed the image of Caesar, and they went nuts, and there was a big uh, rebellion. We know that uh, the scriptures tell us one time sacrifice was mingled with blood. There was a time there were sacrifices being given. There was an uprising, and Pilate had put them down, and people had died. We know that he had tapped into uh, temple funds to fund an aqueduct. And so the Jews were very unhappy about that. And he's on thin ice with Caesar. In fairness to Pilate, and that's a hard thing to say, but in fairness to Pilate, his number one job was what? Keep the peace. That's his number one job. Do not allow any uprising. And he knew that the tension is in the air during the week of Passover. So I ask us to think about why is that? Why is that the air? what's in the air at that time. And it's because when they celebrate Passover, they're, they're celebrating deliverance out from under slavery, out from under Pharaoh. And they're looking for deliverance out from under Rome. And Pilate knows that, and he's concerned about that. So I'm sure he gets together with Caiaphas, uh, the high priest that he got to appoint. I think a lot of us don't remember that he appointed the high priest. And Caiaphas was the high priest under Pilate the entire time that Pilate was the prefect. So he must have been pretty happy with the way Caiaphas acted. But Caiaphas also benefited from knowing Pilate. They worked together. You might say a strange marriage, a strange, strange relationship. So Caiaphas is this high priest, and they get together, I'm sure, when, they, when, uh, when Pilate comes to town. And one of the reasons is because Pilate is probably going to get a little bit of an update. What's going on? What's the mood like? And so forth. And Caiaphas is very concerned. He knows there's this crowd that's growing. We're told that it was out of envy. They're getting envious because the crowds following Jesus are quite large. It's threatening to him. But it's also threatening to one other thing. He too fears there will be an uprising. You remember there's a scripture that says it's better to let one die than to let all the people die. 
So in his mind, it's better to let one person go down than to have the whole, uh, all of Israel be crushed because he knew what Rome could do. They knew what Rome could do if you had an uprising. So he's coming together with Pilate now. And Pilate says, what is it that you need? And uh, he says, I, I bet you're going to need your vestments for the ceremony. And Caiaphas says, yes, I do. Well, we don't know, typically. Those vestments were stored in a fort called uh, uh, Antonia's Fortress. And it was named for Mark Antony. And there's a fortress that's set up around the temple. And inside that are locked up the vestments that the high priest had to wear. So he couldn't even get the, get, get the, the ceremonial outfits he needed without Pilate going along with them. So they get together and they have this uh, little conversation. And Caiaphas has a mixed reputation. Obviously, the Jews revered him. He was the high priest. But at the same time, he was not very popular. And lastly, Judas. Probably most of my life, I kind of thought Judas, uh, the main thing about Judas was that he told them where Jesus was. He went and said, hey, he's over in such and such a cave in the garden or whatever. Well, I think if we really think about that, he probably told a lot more than that. He probably went to them and said, he's talking about a kingdom. He may have said, they have swords. And you say, Jesus' disciples had a sword? What happened in the garden? Peter pulls a sword. Judas may have said, they're talking about a kingdom. There are at least one sword, maybe more swords, we don't know. But think of all these things are coming into their ears, and Caiaphas is saying, oh my, whatever. Oh my goodness. We could have a real problem on our hand. Pilate is going, oh man, we could have a real problem on our hand. And so they're going to play football back and forth with Jesus. Send him here, send him there, decide what they're going to do. But to skip forward to today, we're going to talk primarily about Barabbas and who Barabbas was. So if you'll go to the next slide, please. A man who had been thrown into prison for what? An insurrection. An insurrection against Rome, an uprising against Rome. And what do they do that people typically create an insurrection against Rome? You know what they do because we know what they do to our Savior. So he's started this in the city, then there for murder. And they say, give us Barabbas. And we say, how in the world could they do that? They're exchanging the innocent one for Barabbas. What do we now know? We know that he was given in a great exchange out of which we're going to benefit great books. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I did that on purpose because I lost my thought. Okay. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Anyway. Next slide, if you would, uh, Matt. What we're going to see today is when God pulls back and he lets the spirit of the world take over in its, in its entirety, in its completion, and we're going to see what happens. The depravity of the human race exposed, not just Pilate, not just Caiaphas, mankind, womankind, humankind, however you want to say it, the depravity of the world is exposed in its entirety. They cry out, crucify him, crucify him. We cry out, Christ crucify, Christ crucify. The great exchange, they didn't understand. They couldn't understand. And we're going to look at some scriptures that point that out to us, okay? And we're going to also look at one thing that makes it so much easier for us to understand that they did not have. 
And if I have my way today, when you leave, I hope that each one of you would say, I understand one thing, and that is I have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the advantage of looking back, someone expounding to us all the scriptures that were foretold and fulfilled. We have all of those things. We've had sermons. We've had radio. We have podcasts. We have devotionals. We have songs. We have all the things, Sunday school, from the time we're grown, and we were taught all these things. They didn't have any of that. Okay? And it's not to justify. It's just to help us understand the environment, to get us to what God is doing. Next slide, if you would. Now, we know, we know that they did not know because Jesus himself said it from the cross. Forgive them. Why? They don't know what they're doing. They don't know. We judge them in a way that even Jesus Christ didn't do. They don't know, Father. Forgive them. They don't know. They're part of a plan. They don't know that God is putting together building blocks to create this great fortress we call the church. They don't know any of that. Next slide. I want to stress again, I'm not in any way excusing their actions, and you'll see it as we go on why I'm stressing this. I'm not trying to justify what they did, but I think sometimes we just don't pay enough attention to why they did what they did and what was going on. You have the church, and we talk about church and state in our country. This is church and state coming together, coming together against Jesus Christ, the man standing there. And if you think about this for one second, I wasn't going to talk about this. I took it out of my slides. But Jesus is standing in front of them. The night before, what has he prayed? Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass. He's standing there. He knows now this cup is not going to go away. He knows he taught the disciples. If someone hits you on one side of the face, what do you do? Turn the other cheek. What do you do for your enemies? What do you do for those that persecute you? You pray for them. Think of the perfect example, the perfect example, standing in front of the judge. Who was on trial? We're going to come back to that in a little bit, okay? None of this excuses their actions, but it's important for us to realize why it happened. So if you go to the next slide, Matt. I'm trying not to look at my notes too much, folks, but it's uh, hard sometimes not to refresh your memory when you're not used to doing this. We're going to talk about turning the corner. This is that point in time where things turn, completely pivot, and we're going to see what that means to us. Go ahead, Matt. If you think Archimedes had a eureka moment, you remember he's trying to figure out the gold and the, uh, the weight of the gold and displacement of water with water and so forth. And I'm not going to suggest that anybody on the day of Pentecost got up and ran around like he did, but I am going to suggest they were quite excited. And we're going to fast forward. I'm not going to get ahead of Mike and teaching on the resurrection and all that, except to say we need to get to that point so we can look back at some scriptures that tell us a little bit more about what was happening that day, okay? So they have the day, day of Pentecost comes 50 days after the resurrection, and they have this party of the Holy Spirit falling upon them, right? And all of a sudden, if you go to the next slide, all of a sudden what happens? The great exchange becomes the good news. The great exchange becomes the good. What we think is a tragedy now has become the great news that's changed our lives. And they didn't see this before. 
But Jesus had told him earlier, I have many things to say to you, but you're not ready. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. We have that spirit of truth guiding us into the truth, guiding us into what was happening. They didn't have that. They were acting out of their environment, you might say. Go ahead, next slide, Matt. Look at what happened immediately after this, after Jesus had said, you're going to receive power when the, whole, when the Holy Spirit comes. He tells them to wait, right? Most of us know that. And Peter, immediately after the Holy Spirit falls, look at the boldness and look at what he says. You deny the Holy One. You, 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 you wanted the murder. You killed the author of life. But look at this. And now, brothers, now I know. I know why you did it. I didn't know before, but I know now because the Holy Spirit has come down. I know you did it out of ignorance, as did what? Your rulers. They didn't know. They acted out of ignorance. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets that Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Go ahead, Matt. Now, I mentioned before, who was on trial? And I love this word paradox. Paradox, I think you all know, but just in case, it, it's, a, it, it's a, a statement or an action that goes against all intuition. And it seems to present a, present a contradiction. There's no way this could possibly happen. It makes sense. And yet, these two truths act side by side. Look at who was on trial. We see the picture of Jesus standing before Pilate. But in reality, the world is on trial because he fixed the day in which he will judge the world by the man he appointed, right? You see the difference? Pilate, no, not Pilate. He didn't even realize we're all on trial. But the day is going to come when he will judge the world. He will sit on the throne. Pilate, You'll be on the other side of the table. We'll be on the other side of the table because he'll be the judge. Go ahead, Matt. For those who live, I'm sorry, for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And we bring you, what's he say now? This is, this is later in the book of Acts. And what's he say? What can he bring you now? We bring you the good news. Because all these things happen, we can bring you good news. Without, that's the paradox. Without all those bad things, there's no good news. Okay? Keep going, Matt. None of the rulers, Paul tells us, none of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified Jesus. They wouldn't have done it. But they didn't understand it. It wasn't revealed. They didn't know. And now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that what? We might understand. We might understand. I'm sorry. We don't thank God the way we should for that understanding. We live on this side of the cross. They lived on the other side of the cross. Go ahead, Matt, please. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it's now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, something we, we really, really, really 
don't understand why Paul was so amazed when he went out. I'm telling you, Gentiles, you're part of this thing. You're equal with us. You're coming in. You're in the same covenant. Everything's the same. We, we don't think of it that way because we're 2,000 years later. But at that day, for Paul and for the apostles, they struggled with that. But because of what happened, we got to come in. Okay? Next, next uh, slide. Now, I hesitated about whether to do this or not. And I hope and pray the song plays okay. I want us to listen to a song years and years ago. And some of you I know have heard of Sandy Patty. And in the next service, there'll probably be a lot of people there that are too young to ever even heard of Sandy Patty. <laughs> My wife and I went and saw her uh, sing, and she's got a great voice. But I heard this song, I don't know, 35 years ago, maybe more, something like that. Um, and, and, and it changed, changed me. It changed me. And I, for some reason, I said to my wife, you remember this song? And she said yes. And I, I debated whether or not to play it because I, I, I was afraid you would think I was just trying to fill time. But that's, that's <laughs> not the case. All right? But if you'll listen to it, I want you to listen to what she says and listen to the ending. I'll come up before it completely goes on for a little bit. We won't listen to the, to the entirety of it. But I think you'll be moved with this song. him and saw a simple man, a carpenter with healing in his hands. They saw him calm the sea and heal a dying man. They saw but could they really understand? They could not. They could not. They could not. 
about you, without that exchange, without that exchange, I wouldn't be here today like this. You wouldn't be here. Without that Holy Spirit, we're nothing. Just a couple of quick reminders. Matt, next slide if you would. Do we really realize it's because of the Spirit we understand that wind that will never be defeated. We really realize it. Do we even think about the fact we don't come to the Father without the Holy Spirit? Jesus said, nobody comes to the Father except the Spirit draws him. We are indebted to the Holy Spirit. Do we thank God for the Holy Spirit? Do we celebrate it? Next slide, Matt. It's going to be blank, I think, I hope. If you look in your bulletins, if you have a bulletin, if you look at one of the quotes, if you look at one of the quotes, C.W. Tozer, some of you know this author. Faith is ultimately not just a matter of doctrine. It's not just understanding, it's not just intellect, it's a condition of the heart. I don't know about you, it's easier to read the Bible than to pray. It's easier to extend the Bible study, to pull a commentary. It's easier to listen to podcasts, it's easier to listen to a sermon. 
It's easy to get caught up in what I believe, what I believe, and make sure the doctrine is right, to assent to the creeds, and all of that's important. Countless Christians, countless Christians have died never having held a Bible in their hands, never being able to read a single thing in the Bible, and yet they live Christian lives. And how do they do it? They do it by relying on the Spirit. Folks, we sometimes ignore the Spirit. We get caught up in our understanding. We get caught up in all the things that we think we have to get right. But as Tozer said, it's not just intellect. It's a condition of the heart. Next slide, Matt. In just a few weeks, some of us are going to be excited. And I don't want you to think that I'm comparing joy in the Holy Spirit to just emotion. That's not what I'm trying to do. But I ask myself sometimes, why do we criticize people who get excited about the Lord? Why do we criticize somebody who wants to raise their hand? Why do we criticize somebody who gets excited? We jump around our living room and our family rooms over a football game. We jump around over a sporting event. But if someone jumps around because they realize what God did for them, sometimes we almost think they're fanatics. It shouldn't be. Now, I'm not suggesting we get emotional run around the building. That's not my point. I grew up in a church like that. I've seen it. That's not what I'm suggesting. But I'm talking about quiet reflections on the Holy Spirit, a quiet thanksgiving to God for what he's given, given us, a quiet, thank, thankful heart to God that helps us realize why we understand the scriptures at all. It's because of his spirit. And to ask him to remind us of that, to lead us into all truth. Okay? Let's say a prayer. Father, we are grateful for this time. We thank you for the freedom we have. Lord, we come weekly and gather. We thank you for that. We thank you for guiding us in this discussion for your Holy Spirit. And may we leave this place changed. In Jesus' name, amen.